welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series entitled, He Still Moves Stones, that's diving into the miracles of Jesus found in the book of John. God did miracles then, and he still does them now. Here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. Week three, New Hope. Welcome to He Still Moves Stones. Stones. Think about where we've been in the last few weeks. We celebrated the glorious Easter resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a weekend we had. And then last weekend, you might recall, we studied that mysterious passage in the Bible where the water actually blushed. And by the power of Jesus Christ, it turned into high-quality wine. Well, today I want to talk to you about a long-distance healer. His name is Jesus. He is the miracle worker. And here's the cool thing about Jesus. Let me tell you. He reigns supreme. He transcends even longitude and latitude. As you might know, I am in Greece on the Journeys of Paul trip with a lot of New Hopers. But I'm praying for you. And I am so thrilled that you will be hearing today from our Sanford campus pastor, Nate Mariner. Nate has never, ever preached from this stage before, so this is a really big deal for him. Let me tell you about Nate. He is married to the lovely Angie. They have two amazing daughters, Eva and Caroline Grace. He's been pastoring that campus now for over three years. We launched it in October of 2012, and the campus is just doing great great ministry in the Sand Hills of North Carolina. And I'm so excited that he gets to come and share with you this amazing passage in John chapter 4. In fact, go ahead and open up your Bible to John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 43 through 54. Again, John chapter 4. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Remember we talked last week about believe, participate, and recognize? Listen to me, church. There is a correlation between the extent to which we believe God is going to do a miracle and the reality of God performing the miracle. And Jesus says here in verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea 
to Galilee. It is clear in John's Gospel, as we've been talking in this series, that these miracles serve as signs that point to Jesus Christ. The miracle is not the purpose for the miracle. The miracle is to give glory to Christ. And here yet again, we see this second sign in the Gospel of John, pointing all the people to Jesus and giving him all the glory. Again, let me tell you something about Christ. He is Lord and he reigns supreme over latitude and longitude. We sometimes think that we have to be in the exact location of a miracle. But this passage reminds us that distance is no obstacle for Jesus. Think about that for a moment. You can pray for somebody around the globe. And by the power of God, a miracle can be performed. You can pray for these people that we've put on these banners and written on these walls at the central campus and at all these other campuses. These names of these people that we've been praying for. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can transcend neighborhoods, blocks, miles, and even countries because He is Lord over latitude and over longitude. Hey, I'm so, so glad you are here. Pray for us as we are in Greece. I'm praying for you. I pray that you have been able to actually muster up the courage and the boldness to go to a prayer wall at one of our campuses to share your heart, your needs, your desires to God and slip that piece of paper into the prayer walls. And I am praying that one way or another you will believe in the miracles of Christ. You will actually participate in those miracles and God uses you to do miracles and that you will actually learn to realize and see the miracles of God breaking out all around us. Hey, I love you. I miss you. I will be back in a few weeks, but here's what I want you to do. When Pastor Nate Mariner walks on this stage, you know how I like for you to show honor where honor is due. Give it up and welcome him with a warm, warm New Hope welcome at all of our campuses. Welcome him to this stage as he preaches the Word of God. What is up, New Hope Church? It is such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share the Word of God. It is just a privilege like no other to get to preach to this amazing movement. And I guess I should look right now to all the Extension campuses, especially the one there in the Sandhills, and say, surprise, right? It's... uh. It's, it's great that you would put me on loan today. We love you in Sanford. We're so excited that you're with us today. So let's go ahead and welcome them. And we'll welcome the other campuses. We're excited about Coffee House, bringing it in worship upstairs. We love the Garner Campus, North Raleigh, Columbia, NCCIW. Everybody that's here at the Central Campus in Durham, those that are overseas in Kenya, all those folks watching at the Polk Correctional Facility, whether you're watching on TV or on the internet, we want to say we love you, we welcome you, and God is going to do some amazing things today. But we welcome all of our campuses today. Yeah. So again, thank you for allowing me to share the word. And Pastor Benji, I do want to say just from my heart to yours, thank you for the opportunity to come and preach to the New Hope Movement. We are praying for you. We love you as you are suffering for Jesus in Greece. 
following the footsteps of Paul. We are, we are praying for you and the team out there. We know God is doing great things through you. And we're so excited to hear the messages that you're preaching that we'll hear later in the year. Hey, look, I want to start us off by telling a story. I was reading about this college student who was taking an ornithology class, and that's the study of birds, right? And so he was in this huge lecture hall. There's like 250 students in this class. And so he comes for the final exam, studied, prepared. He's ready, you know? And he walks in and he sees 25 pictures on the wall, and they're all of birds' feet. And so... So he looks at the professor and he says, what's all this about? And so the professor, you know, says, have a seat and I'll tell you. And he begins to tell the entire class the final exam is centered around them identifying these birds based on their feet alone. And so this student is just irate. He's like, there's no way that I can possibly do this. I know what these birds are, but I can't identify them by their feet. So the professor says, well, you're going to have to, otherwise you're not going to pass the final. And the kid says, well, you know what? I'm not going to take the final. The professor says, fine, if you don't take the final, you fail. So the boy said, fine, I guess I fail. The professor says, okay, tell me your name. So the boy kicks his shoes off and says, why don't you tell me? <laughs> we take tests all the time. In life, we take tests as Christian people, whether you're Christian here or not, we have tests thrown at us all the time. They're usually not what we expected that they would be. We don't see them coming. Sometimes they feel unfair, don't they? You know, but I think it's what was coming on the other side of those tests where we see God working the miraculous in our life. So the scripture that we're going to look at today, this miracle of Jesus it's talking about a family who had to go the distance, who had to really work hard and, and really go after Jesus in such a way to see him do the miraculous. And this guy that we're going to look at in particular was tested by God. So here we are in week three of our series, He Still Moves Stones. And I just believe that we're going to see something that Jesus is speaking to us that Paul, that, that, that John, rather, the writer of this gospel, is trying to, to illustrate for us as we go deep and study this particular passage. So as we work through our scripture today, I want us to ask ourselves a question. And this is going to kind of be a theme today. When tests come, am I willing to go the distance with Jesus to experience a miracle? Hey, at all of our campuses, why don't you say this, read this out loud with us. When tests come, am I willing to go the distance with Jesus to experience a miracle? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us and how it changes us. I simply ask that you would speak through me, your servant, today, as I seek to divide your word of truth, to preach your gospel that people would know you because of your word and that we'd all be made more like you because of it. Give us ears to hear it. Lord, I pray, give us hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So let's go get it. You can grab your teaching notes. You can open your Bibles to John 4.43 if you haven't already. <clears throat> and we're going to get to it. So Jesus, if I'm going to set the scene for you, he spent two days preaching to the Samaritans before he gets to this point. <clears throat> he was actually in a town called Sychar. 
Now, what had happened between when he turned water into wine and now is this. Turns water into wine at the marriage of Cana of Galilee. Heads south down into Jerusalem. It's 100 miles, right? He goes to the Feast of Passovers. And you see in chapter 2, verse 23, he's performing miracles there. And then he heads back up north into Judea. And then he heads into Samaria. And while he's in Samaria, he has that famous conversation with the Samaritan woman. Remember that? Where, where she says, hey, I want you to come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And right when, he, when she goes back and tells these people that, they go and see Jesus. And the emphasis that we see before Jesus comes into Cana of Galilee again is that he's preaching the word to these Samaritans. And these people that were considered by Jews to be outcasts, they called them half-breeds. They, they didn't want to associate with them. These people loved Jesus so much in this time. They said, would you stay with us for a couple more days? And he does that. And I love what the Samaritans say. They say, woman, we no longer believe that he is who he says he is because of what you told us. We believe that he is who he says he is because of what he says. And I believe that Jesus is looking for a church that will take him at his word today. And as we venture into this, as we dive into this scripture, it's my hope that we're going to allow him to push us, to stretch us. To cause us to be those gritty, faith-filled believers that God wants us to be. So we're going to continue just to push into the scripture here. So two days in Sychar with the Samaritans. And now he's going to go up north again into his home country of Galilee. Right? So Jesus is going home. Born in Bethlehem. Raised in Nazareth. And this is what the Bible says. It says, after the two days when he was with the Samaritans, he departed for Galilee his home. Check this out. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Hang on. It makes you scratch your head a little bit, right? It says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Uh, To me, that's kind of strange, you know? You never really say, hey, I'm going to go to where I'm really not that popular, so I'm going to head there. But that's exactly what Jesus did here. But look, here's the thing. I think that we're seeing a theme starting to form in the book of John. I believe that because in chapter 1, verse 11 of the book of John, it says this. It says, you can read this with me. Here we go. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There's a theme that we're seeing building in the book of John. Now, the Galileans, they received Jesus and they welcomed him. But I thought about this. I was like, you know, this isn't a true welcoming. What was this like? I think that the Galileans were treating Jesus like we would a modern-day professional athlete. Come on now, go with me, church. I believe that they were looking at him like this high-profile person. Think about a pro athlete. When they are winning, it's like they can walk on water. See what I did there? But when they're losing, when they're struggling, everybody runs the opposite direction, right? You don't, you don't see a whole lot of video game covers with Tiger Woods on the front anymore lately, right? He's, his game is struggling, you know? Hey, you think about our team in the Carolinas. So this kind of applies to all the North Carolina campuses and the Columbia campus. The Carolina Panthers, you think about Cam Newton. When he's playing great, you're like, oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl, when he's playing bad, they're like, man, we really need to draft somebody, maybe trade this guy. What are we going to do, you know? And that's the way that they were treating Jesus in Galilee. 
They were looking at him like he was this rock star, high-profile guy. Yeah, oh, we love Jesus, the miracle worker. Come on back, Jesus. We, we love it, man. Maybe you'll do some cool stuff. Hey, by the way, I knew that guy. I grew up just down the street from him. You know, I used to hang out with his brother James, that, that kind of thing. But when it came to believing that Jesus was God, they were not interested. You see, the Galileans were fans. They weren't followers. How many of us today have that kind of heart and attitude that says, oh yeah, Jesus, I know him. I, I go to his house once a month. It's pretty cool. Or how many of us have a heart that burns for him that says, Jesus, yeah, I know him. He's changed who I am. Everything I am is wrapped up in him, and I talk to him every day. In fact, I can introduce you. Do you want to talk to him with me? There's a difference between a fan and a follower. So let's continue to go back through the scriptures here. It says, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now, here's what we know about the official. This is a king's official. It actually uses a term when it talks about him. In the Greek, it says basilikos. In other words, it's servant of the king or of a little king is what basilikos means. And so there was only one king in the area, and his name was Herod Antipas. So we assume that this guy was a servant of Herod Antipas, who wasn't a very popular guy himself. Remember, Herod Antipas, his father, Herod the Great, he actually was the one that ordered the slaughter of all the babies that were boys born two years and younger when they heard that Jesus had been born. And this was his son, who was not a very popular ruler at all. So as we continue in the scriptures, it says this. It says, when he had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him. This is the king's servant. He went and begged Jesus to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this man may have been a royal official, but in this instance, he was coming to Jesus as a father who was just desperate for a miracle. The journey from Capernaum to Cana wasn't an easy journey at all. If you look at the map, Capernaum was a city that sat on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the second lowest body of water on the planet. It is 700 feet below sea level. Cana is due west of this place. Now, the difference here is that it's all uphill. It's an 18-mile journey, and it's a 2,500-foot ascension up into the foothills in Cana of Galilee. This desperate father, needing a miracle, knowing that if he didn't get it, his son would die, took this journey 18 miles uphill. It was a day-and-a-half journey, and he did it because he knew that this was the only hope for his son. And there's a truth that I believe John is revealing to us today. And I want us to catch this. This is in your teaching notes, so grab it. It's that some miracles require sweat equity. Look now, I believe with all of my heart that God would say to you sometimes that he wants to see some effort when it comes to pressing in and believing for him to do something supernatural in your life. Sweat equity is defined as a party's contribution to a project in the form of effort. Now, when I think of a good definition of what this looks like, you know, when we were so blessed to launch the Sanford campus, and so many of you at so many campuses helped to contribute to that launch. And I want to say from my heart to all of you, thank you so much for letting God use you. But we got in that building on October 1st of 2012. Launch day was October 21st 
of 2012. We called it an all-out sprint to the starting line, right? Hey, look, whether you are paid staff or volunteer, people served with their whole heart. They put in as much effort as they could, and they worked like it all depended on them, but we prayed and believed like it all depended on God, because it did. And look, two and a half years later, and over 500 salvations later, God is still working miracles at that campus. Because some miracles require sweat equity. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not at all trying to tell you that this is contingent with salvation, like you have to work for your salvation or righteousness. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I think that this quote sums it up really well. Grace isn't opposed to effort. Hear that, church? It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. You know, God wants us to put our faith in motion. This is a huge point that the, the royal official was showing us here. You can never earn a miracle, but I believe that effort's a part of the process. And I want to ask you a question. How far are you willing to go? You know, because most of us are great with serving Jesus when it doesn't get inconvenient for us. Most of us are fine with loving God and being available to Him and singing His praises until He starts to move some stuff in our, our life around that we don't like. You see, I believe that if you want to see God move in a big, miraculous way, sometimes you've got to go out of your way. Sometimes you've got to get out of your comfort zone to do that. You know, do you secretly cringe like every time you see a needy person that's going to ask you for help? Are you the person that rolls your window up on your car and pretends not to see them with their sign by the overpass? Because this is what defined the Good Samaritan. This is what shaped everything that this one, this man, this Good Samaritan did and believed. Are you willing to be inconvenienced by Jesus? Are you willing to follow the little nudges that Pastor Benji taught us about last week? And if you haven't heard that message, go to Pastor Benji's blog at BenjiKelly.com or grab a copy in the Resource Center at every campus before you get out of here today. You know, this is what we saw with the woman with the issue of blood. She did anything that she had to do. She pushed and pushed and pushed through those crowds just so she could reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and experience a miracle. This is what happened when four men had an invalid friend and they put him on a mat and they took him to Jesus, but they couldn't get to where he was inside of that house. So they climbed on top of the building and they ripped the roof off of that place to lower that man down. Sometimes a miracle requires sweat equity. And that brings us back to this question that I want us to keep asking ourselves today. When tests come, am I willing to go the distance with Jesus to experience a miracle? I love this passage of Scripture because it reveals this great Christological mystery. Now, what do I mean by that? If I wanted to make that kind of in plain terms, I would say... We're about to learn something really cool about Jesus, right? This, this passage of Scripture is going to point this out for us. I want us to catch this now, okay? And the truth is, Jesus spoke Southern. He did. We're in the South. And I just want to affirm you right now, for you guys that use Southernisms, for y'all that use Southernisms, it's a good thing because we're going to see Jesus do now. It, now, if you don't like Southernisms, if you're not from the South, we're so glad you're here. Now, take note from the Savior of the world, please, if you would. 
Let's see what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now check it out. The you right here in the Greek, this is cool. This is plural. So it literally says, then Jesus said to him, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Jesus is saying y'all to this crowd. Now look, that tells us there was a crowd that had gathered. It wasn't just the man. He looked straight at him and said it to everyone. Now, I want us to step back for a second and think about the context of how this is happening. A father, desperate for his son to be healed, begging Jesus, as we've read in the scriptures, to heal him. The first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth recorded in the scriptures towards this man is unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Pretty harsh thing for the Savior of the world to say to a wounded father, isn't it? I think it is. And I think that we see something here that we don't like to see, that we don't like to talk about when it comes to Jesus in the Scriptures. Because we want to think of Jesus as this fluffy, loving rainbow of gentleness all the time. We don't, we don't often like to see that messed with, that viewpoint, do we? When we look at Jesus and we think about him, we often see him like this. Oh, Jesus is holding a puppy, right? I guess, I mean, I guess that could happen. It's possible, you know. How, how about this? Oh, man, yeah, very, very messianic right there. Jesus with the lamb and the doves, you know. But the more we read the Bible, the more we realize that Jesus can't be put in the box that we try to put him in. If we believe that today, church, the more that we read about Jesus, we realize that he puts people at times to the test just like this man was being put to the test. It reminds me of the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Do you remember that story? This woman comes in the book of Matthew 15 and asks Jesus, please cast the demons out of my daughter. And Jesus looks at her and says, why am I going to waste food by throwing it to the dogs? Do you remember that? That's a hard teaching of Jesus. But I believe just like he's testing the king's official in our passage today, he was testing the Syrophoenician woman too. Because remember her response? She looked back at Jesus and said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall at the master's table. And Jesus' entire countenance changed in that moment and said, oh woman, great is your faith. It will be done and right now in this moment, boom, the, the demons were cast out. Of that woman's daughter. He gave her everything she asked for and more because he was testing her and she passed the test. So when we get this viewpoint inside of our minds that Jesus is just one way or another, it reminds me that he's never at the limitation of our own mind. He's so much bigger. I had a conversation with a great friend of Pastor Benji's and Pastor Amy Lynn. Shane Grammer, who was responsible for so much of the artwork, the beautiful artwork we see, and the designs we see in Hopetown at all of our campuses. And while we had this discussion, we were looking at this old school picture of like blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, and we said, man, he's so much more than that. And so the Holy Spirit struck him and said, I want to do something as a gift for you guys. And so he took a picture that we were commenting on, and he reworked it as a reminder that he's so much more and this is what he came up with. You cannot put God in the box that says he's the gentle lamb. You can't put him in the box that says he's the person saying hard, hard statements to people either. He might be the guy that's driving people out with a whip and overturning the money changers' tables, but he's also the one that's holding us at our weakest moment. 
He is so much more. So let's continue in the scripture as we journey in this miracle here. Let's look on to the next verse. The official said to him, Sir, he's pleading with Jesus now for the life of his son. He says, Please come down before my little boy dies. This guy doesn't give up. I think for so many of us, we've prayed and we pressed in and we prayed and we pressed in. And when things just didn't happen right away, we gave up. But God is calling us to have grit and tenacity like this man. He keeps on pleading with Jesus. And this is Jesus' response to him. He says, can we back that up? Thanks. He says, Jesus said to him, he says, go, your son will live. He heals that boy right there in that moment. And he does it in such a way where he didn't ask for anything back. He didn't say, I'm going to do this for you now, but you got to go tell all these people now and just make sure everybody hears about it right away. He simply heals the boy. And I believe there's a truth that we can see that's being brought out of the scripture for us in this moment as well as we journey through this whole passage. And it's, it's simple. It's just talking about how we give. And it's this. It's giving without an agenda, I believe, is the catalyst for a miracle. Do you remember the moments where you just did something for somebody out of the kindness of your heart as you experienced the nudges of the Holy Spirit that Pastor Benji talked about last week? And the result of that and how it was so transforming in people's lives, giving without an agenda, I believe is the catalyst for a miracle. There are people at every campus that experience, you got Christmas a couple years ago. Do you guys remember that? Maybe some of you do. They were just loved on by God's people. And when they received and experienced the love of God, they were open to hearing his truth and his word. And when they heard the gospel, the gospel changed their lives. And they're blood-bought believers in Jesus today because somebody took the time to give without an agenda in their life. And it became a miracle for them. So I want us to keep on finishing, pushing through this. I want us to finish our story here. Let's read the scripture together. If you want to read with me, ready? Go. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Stop right there. Catch that. The man believed. Okay? Let's keep going. And went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Let's keep reading. So he asked them the hour that he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. See here the official believes at first, that Jesus can do the miracle. But God's calling us to be more of a faith-filled people than just believing God is our last result. I think so many of us just run to Jesus when things get difficult. We just run to him when we have a problem, but we never remain with him in good times and in bad. We don't rejoice with him in victories like he wants us to. We don't commune with him and stay connected with him like he's calling us to. But he wants our faith to grow from that. And if you're here today and you say, oh, I believe God can do anything, I'm just really inconsistent. Man, I am so excited that you're here today because God says, I love that, but I want you to go deeper with me. Let's take a deeper journey together. So Jesus goes further. So when he began 
to go and, and see this, this man's faith birthed into something that goes and continues with us. As we read, it says that when he confirmed that the miracle had happened, that he had seen his servants on the way back to Capernaum, and they said, the fever is broke, your son is healed. He said, what hour did it happen? And by our time, they said it happened at one in the afternoon. And he knew exactly at that moment that that was when Jesus had healed his son. And he believed. But he didn't just believe. It says that he put wheels on his faith, that he believed and his whole household believed. How many of you know that if you really believe something to be fact in your heart, not fiction, that you'll go and tell somebody about it? Come on now, I believe that if we were a church that believed beyond anything that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he can transform anyone's life, it would be everything to try to stop us from going and telling someone about how good our Savior is. And I believe there's so many people here in the movement that have experienced that kind of touch from the Master's hand and are ready to step out and share that message with somebody, even if it's as simple as saying, why don't you come with me to church? I go to a church I really love. I think you'll enjoy it too. Just that evangelistic step might be the difference between life and death. Now, let's talk about this. I want, I want us to see this. This is what John says about the reason why Jesus performed these signs and wonders. Check this out. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, say it with me, church, by believing, say it again, by believing, you may have life in His name. I believe that people are seeing the gift of faith birthed in their hearts today. As we look at this miracle, this was one of the most amazing things that we had ever seen Jesus do, and I'll tell you why. Because He did it in such a way that was different from anything we had ever seen up to this point. Because He spoke a mere word, and it happened. Jesus didn't have to touch this boy. When we pray today and believe that God can miraculously heal someone, we don't have to be there in their presence. Jesus spoke a mere word, and he was, he was completely healed. This was done at a distance. I love to say it this way, like Pastor Benji said it earlier. He is the Lord of latitude. It didn't matter that he was 18 miles away. It wouldn't have mattered if he was 18 million light years away. When Jesus commanded that that boy be healed, he was healed. And he was healed in an instant. It was immediate. The way that he had touched his life didn't take some slow process of seeing, well, we don't know if he's going to make it or not. No, in that moment, boom, he was recovering. It was an immediate healing. I love the way that we need to reframe our mindset. And Mark Batterson had a quote that really helped me understand this. Because I think the reason we struggle with miracles sometimes is because we get so used to the way things are all around us. But check this out. One of the reasons we have a hard time believing God for miracles it's simply because we think of God as being subject to the laws of nature that he created and instituted. But God is above all of those things. So I want to ask you today, are you following Jesus because of what he can do for us? Or are you a follower of Christ simply because of who he is? Now look, admittedly, most of us come to Jesus because we had a felt need. And that is, that, that is absolutely fine, man. It's awesome that, that something like that, a, a trial in our life, a test in our life, brought us to the place where we met Jesus. And I don't know what that was for you. It could have been being depressed or struggling in your marriage or maybe you lost a job or had financial hardship. 
And this father was no different, right? He was desperate. His son was dying, and that is why he met with Jesus. But we can't stay in that place. I've seen so many people that come to church looking for a need to be met, but when the need isn't met like they expect, like the people that didn't get their big miracle show, they just leave. You see, if we only come to Jesus when we need fixing, we're going to remain perpetually broken. God doesn't want us just to come to him for the quick fix. He wants us to have a growing faith in him, to understand that his death on the cross was one that said, you don't just receive forgiveness of sin anymore because of me, but because I've defeated sin and death, I've given you the power to overcome sin through the cross. That is a game changer for us all today. He wants to change us from the inside out. And throughout this series, we've been talking about the BPR, of how we can get involved in seeing the miraculous happen by believing, participating, and recognizing. And I believe that the example we're about to show you is one that can't get any clearer, any better as to how you can participate in being someone else's miracle. Why don't you check this out? It's a sad fact. Hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every year. Many of them do not survive. And this tragic loss of life moved a pastor to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. I first read an article about Pastor Lee in June of 2011. And it was all about this pastor in South Korea who had built a mailbox for abandoned babies. It was like this guy had built a bunker for babies and was defending it with his life and saying, no one dies here. And I was compelled by that immediately. I flew to South Korea to make a movie about saving babies, and I had no idea God was going to save me. So I became a Christian while making this film. And so Pastor Lee changed everything because he showed me what God's love was really like. The love of Pastor Lee and his wife really gripped my heart because there's too few people in this world that really show the love of God. Those kids that get dropped off in that box, they're not the only ones that are broken. They're not the only ones that are helpless. When it comes to living forever, we're all like those kids. Bound up in the dark, waiting for somebody to come save us. I want people to know what God's love is like. It's a gritty, I will do anything and give everything for you, love. Even if you don't deserve it. Wow. That pastor, Lee Jong-Rock, he said, the reason I became their father 
because God adopted me. How about you? How are you going to respond when you're put to the test? How are you going to respond when you experience the little nudges of God? Will you walk away? Or will you come to a place where you allow God to do the miraculous in your life? Will you let him use you to be someone else's miracle? And when it comes to the question that we ask today, when tests come, am I willing to go the distance with Jesus to experience a miracle? Are you ready to endure? Are you ready to go the distance? You know, maybe you're ready to take a step of faith today. Maybe it's that you need to believe and put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you believe the gospel today and you want Jesus to be your savior, that he went to the cross, that he laid down his life for you to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And he defeated death forever and gives you life Maybe it's that you need to believe for a miracle in your own life. Maybe it's that you need to go and grab one of those prayer cards today and say, God, I'm believing that you can do anything. Write that miracle down. Go out to that wall and prayerfully put it inside one of the slots. Maybe it's that you need to allow God to use you to be someone else's miracle. And if you're sitting there saying, I can't, good. Because you have to realize it's only God that can work the miraculous through you. That when you realize in those moments that I may be weak, but his spirit is strong in me, you realize that he can do anything in and through you. So I'm believing God to do the miraculous today. And here's what I'm going to ask us to do at all of our campuses. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. And our worship teams are going to lead us. And as they do, I want this song to be a defining moment in our lives, to take the next step in our faith to go deeper in Jesus. So we're going to sign off to all of our campuses. We love you. We're so, so proud of all God is doing in and through you. We pray blessings over you. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, just stop by one of our campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. Thanks for being a part of our church family and we hope you'll join us next week.